Praise the Lord. You are about as surprised as I am. And uh, I came to receive the word of the Lord and have so much enjoyed everything that I've heard and received from these good men of God that have preached the word of the Lord and, uh, and brought uh, several of our men with us. And, and I suppose they probably were, didn't know I'd be up here again today, but they'll have to endure it. And, uh, but I am here today just to be able to do the will of God. I feel so honored to be invited to do it. Don't feel worthy to do it. But I think if there is any greater need today, it would be for the uh, young ministers. And I always categorized myself in that category until just a few weeks ago when I hit the half century mark. And uh, I guess now I'm an old preacher. And... Uh, I don't feel that way. Somebody asked me if I felt old, and I said, some mornings I wake up and feel like a teenager, but there's other mornings I wake up and I feel like I'm 70 years old. And, uh, but it's, it is good to be here. Appreciate everything that I felt and heard and all the uh, preparations that have been made by this church and Pastor Howard and all those that have made this available to the young ministry. Uh, may God bless them richly for it. Uh, Elder Howard mentioned this to me last night, and because I respect him, and when he told me he had heard from the Lord, uh, I, I took it, and I went home and, or to the room and started praying and seeking God, what would he have me to say? Uh, there's a lot of things, after a while, after you preach for a long time, there's a lot of things you could say, uh, but there is one thing that the Lord would want to impart and speak to us, and that's what I sought for. And uh, it was, it was mid-morning before I finally laid a finger on that. And I want you to uh, just give me a little time. I am mindful of the time. We're on schedule today. So I'm going to have to do this fast. And I'm going to try to give you my heart. And then uh, you take it and do with it whatever the Lord would have you to do with it. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to, uh, first of all, James chapter 1. And uh, then to Romans chapter 1. And then I'll end up with Genesis 32, and I will try to hasten uh, the reading of the word of the Lord today. James chapter 1 and verse 21 is where we'll begin, and I'll wait for you to get there. <coughs> James 1, 21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. The Apostle Paul was telling them that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Genesis 32, and a very old and familiar story, and I'd like to read that to you this morning before we pray and ask the Lord's anointing and blessing on his word today. Chapter 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and don't, Look over that too quickly. He was left alone. 
And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, the name, Thy name shall call, be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Jesus, I thank you for your word today, and I pray that you'd help me. God, I need you so much. I pray, O oh Lord, that you'd speak your word to us today, O oh God, and not only just let us hear with our ears, but let our hearts feel and let our spirits be touched. Let us be challenged and changed, Lord, and let us take every word that is spoken to us in these days. Let it impact us. Let it challenge us. Let it change us that we would never be the same. I give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Would you lift your hands and worship the Lord with me right now? I love you, Jesus, and I glorify your name. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to speak to us. How great and how good you are, Lord, and I feel your spirit on me now. Oh, I feel your spirit in this place, oh God. Do your wonderful work. Oh, Lord, we stand in awe at the great things you can do. Do your work again today, oh, Lord, and to you be all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. I want to talk to you a little while today on this little simple subject, spiritual impartation. Spiritual impartation. God bless you. May be seated in Jesus' name. The word impartation or to impart actually comes from two Greek words, and uh, they are basically uh, meta and then didomai. The meta means to transfer or to sequence, and didomai means to strike, to smite, or to suffer. And uh, the word engraft, of course, is basically uh, similar to that. It means... Uh, implanted by nature or by the instruction of others. And uh, on and on, we've done a little work there, and I'm going to skip over some of the, of the in-depth study there and just tell you today that what we need today as young preachers and preachers' wives, we need more than just to be touched by the Spirit of God. We need to be impacted and we need to be changed. If the world is going to be changed, it has to be changed by people who have been changed, that who know God more than just by theory and more than just by practice, but they know him by revelation and relationship. And so we understand that a lot of times what's going on in our world today, we have a lot of fluff. We have a lot of shallowness among us. 
Not many of us sitting here today could say that we don't know the calisthenics of Pentecostal apostolic worship. Most of us today could go and say that we know the doctrine. We know Acts 2.38. We know the oneness of God. We know the definitions of repentance and the necessity of it. We know about baptism in Jesus' name and all that it entails and the power of the name as it is given to us in the watery grave of baptism. We understand about the Holy Ghost. All of these things are very elementary to us. But I think one of the reasons why the old timers had a greater handle on it and perhaps maybe a greater success with the deliverance of that message was that it was more than just theology to them. It was more than just passed down to them because it was scripturally right and scripturally sound. There was something that got a hold of them that cost them something to preach the message that they preached. They walked away from families. They walked away from security. Many of them did without, slept under trees, and uh, families suffered, but the name of the Lord was lifted. And they were not afraid to preach this wonderful one God Jesus name, apostolic Holy Ghost message. And thank God for it. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. I thank God for the old timers and, uh, you know, really, and, uh, and saying this, and please don't read or any, infer anything here. I don't have time, uh, as uh, Elder Bass said last night, uh, to qualify everything that I want to say and what I feel to say, but I, I feel this on me, and I've got to get this off of me today. Uh, I am hearing better preaching than I have ever heard. I believe that the astounding, studious studies of men are probably greater. We have accessibility to greater tools to study the Word of God and to break it down. Commentaries, books, uh, preaching tapes, and testimonies, and conferences that have sharpened the way that we deliver it and uh, the way that we say it and proclaim it. But there is something dreadfully missing that the Holy Ghost has dealt with me about. And it's got to be more than just our ability to articulate the Word of God. And I think that's good. I think we ought to be able to say it with adjectives and adverbs and, and not slaughter the king's English. And sometimes we do simply because that was the way we were raised. But more than all of that, there's got to be something that will touch us that goes beyond the mind, that goes beyond the mere emotion of it. And it gets way down deep into us where it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a conviction. It becomes not a preference, but a conviction that drives us to preach the word of God, to stand for the truth, to not back up, let up, or shut up until we have done the perfect will of God. God is looking for such men. I believe that the Holy Ghost searches the hills and the valleys and the plains of our nation and all across the countries of our world looking for men that cannot be bought with money, men that will not be impressed with buildings and talent and all kinds of other things, but men that are desirous to fulfill the will of God and do whatever God tells them to do, to preach whatever God tells them to preach. And it is not just a theory, not just something they heard off of a tape, but somewhere in a prayer room and through an experience that God has reached down in the core of their soul and has squeezed it until there is no more selfishness left. Everybody said, praise the Lord. 
And so I look at this today and I've got to hasten on. The word here we used in James 1.21 was engraft. And in Romans 1 and 11 it says, I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. I did some work in studying on the word grafting. And grafting is the process of uniting two parts or two plants to form one single plant. And uh, one of the reasons why this is done is because it actually helps to propagate or reproduce existing varieties of plants. Uh, something that may have been strong in one area and weak in another. They'll put two plants together and uh, they'll get the best of both worlds. And uh, the flavor, perhaps, of a fruit will be much better. Uh, the longevity of it, its uh, resistance to disease is much better. And they'll, they'll take these two together and place, place them together. Uh, second reason is because they can, uh, uh, it, it will not grow automatically if they do not propagate it by this hybrid way of grafting one branch into another. And so they get something that would not ordinarily be. There's a lot to go here and, and uh, stay with me just a minute. Grafting can be used to change the variety of a fruit or a plant that it produces. Uh, another thing is grafting can change a plant's growing habits. Grafting can produce hardier and disease-resistant plants. And so all these things begin to happen. And I believe that when God fills us with the Holy Ghost, that he grafts something into us. And we still have our fleshly nature to contend with. But there's something about God filling us with the Holy Ghost that will make us what we never could have been, that will cause us to do what we never could have accomplished, to lead us where we never would have gone, and to be what we could have never been. So no matter what the devil throws among us and gives to us and all of that, the Holy Ghost should have engrafted something in us that will be disease and sin resistant to where temptation does not harm us and that all the weaknesses of the flesh cannot deter us because there is a power of the Holy Ghost that God has put in our nature that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Thank you, Jesus. And of all, the preacher ought to be the one that has the nature of God in them like no one else ever had. We should be higher than the congregation. We should be driven more than the saints who attend our churches. There ought to be something that presses us and pushes us to say, God, I've got to be everything you want me to be. I am not satisfied with being popular. I've got to be powerful. I don't just want to be persuasive. I want the Holy Ghost to change me, challenge me, use me, and make me what you want me to be. Let's worship the Lord for a moment. I love you, Jesus, and I magnify your name. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everybody said praise the Lord. And uh, one particular man had this to say, and I don't have time to read all of this, and perhaps uh, thank God for the, the, the printer that was at the motel. If not, I'd have, just, I'd have just been in terrible shape today because I can't remember everything. You know, as you get older, you don't remember everything that you've read and studied. You only remember bits and pieces of it. So I've got all of it out here in print, but now I don't have my glasses on and I can't read it. And the time is going fast, so I don't have time to read it. But let me surmise it just a little bit and tell you that this uh, uh, old-timer was, was describing the process of grafting. 
and uh, they would cut the branches and maybe they'd make uh, some sort of a hybrid plum or a hybrid apple or whatever they do that in our, our part of the world. And uh, they, will, uh, they will cut it and, uh, and they will place the inbred or the grafting part into the scion or the part that was a part of the original plant. And then they will, uh, they will take uh, some sort of cloth and uh, sometimes they will use wax, but the old timers used to use cloth. And they would wrap all the way around there and then they would put rubber bands or they would tie string around there. And every so often they would go out and they would change the dressing as they called it. And, uh, and it would be sopped. And uh, they said that really what was, called, what was happening there was uh, they called that the tree was weeping. And uh, what was going on there was that these fluids was trying to get into the new. And that what was in the new was trying to get back into the old. And it was the weeping process that was actually causing the graft to take shape. And, uh, and, and, and let me just tell you that when God begins to graft some things into you, there has to be a cutting and there has to be a, 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 a painful experience that God cuts that. And, uh, and then he grafts what he wants you to be. There's too many people that want to do what they want to do and they miss the whole point. You'll never be what God wants you to be, always fighting for your right, always trying to prove that you, you're the right one and that everybody has done you wrong. There comes a time in life when you've got to back away and hide behind the shadow of the cross and say, not my will, but thy will be done. And sometimes, and most of the times, and 100% of the time, it's going to hurt you deeply. It's very doubtful that God will ever use any man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And as God puts his nature in us as preachers, and God begins to place his hand upon us and, and into our natural lives, he cuts some things that need not be. And then he puts himself in that place. And in that process, there's a weeping process. I want to just stay here for just a moment. I think one of the reasons why we're seeing so little of a, of, of a result from our preaching is because there are not nearly enough tears that are shed by the preacher word of God we like to be on our feet and shout I do it and I like it we like to be rejoiced we like for somebody to tell us what we need to hear but what ought to happen is after we hear the preach word of God we need to weep that into our spirit we need to cry and say God put that in my heart don't let me forget that let me be what you're trying to make me be let me weep between the porch and the altar God put that in my spirit Hallelujah. Amen. I'm not trying to get you to shout and run the aisles today. But before we get through, I hope I can say something through the Holy Ghost that would help us to put something in our soul that would cause us to go wherever we're supposed to go and to challenge every devil of hell and win and to build churches where the devil said there wouldn't be any and to cast out devils and to pray for the sick and to watch the mighty hand of God operate in the gifts of the Spirit. It cannot be done any other way than God has to grind this and graft this and impart this unto us. Praise God. 
Just hearing the word of God is not, and having a concept of the knowledge of God is not merely enough. And I appreciate what I just heard. And I believe what I just heard. And I believe that we ought to preach the word of God. We have to be real careful that we don't misrepresent the word of God. But what I'm seeing, and I've mentioned this to our churches of late, and I told them that, and, and we've said this, and I believe it is true up until a point that the most important thing in the service is the preaching of the word of God to that point. But after the preaching of the word of God, the most important part is to make sure you put that word in your heart. Because you can walk out of an apostolic anointing and, uh, and hear the word of God and walk out of the building and forget what you heard. You'll eat a hamburger and forget what the man of God had to say. The challenge of the spirit and the tears are all gone now. You didn't take the time to get pregnant with it. And I wonder sometimes if maybe that's not the reason why that there are trials and tribulations that God sends our way to cut away our carnality, to cut away our, our, our carnal ambition, to cut away those things that keep us from being productive in the Spirit of God. And then he, then he, he engrafts his word into us. We've got to hear the word of God. God, let us get a dream like we've never had. God, let us have a desire to pray like we we've never prayed, to fast like we've never fasted, to have revival like we've never had revival before. I'm not satisfied with what I've seen. Please don't think that I'm being critical or hypercritical here today. I thank God I was raised in an apostolic atmosphere, seen miracle after miracle, had a man of God to preach to me over and over again, and uh, could almost write a book concerning the things that we've seen and heard during the times past. But I've got to pass this on to the next generation. That's why I'm preaching here today. It's got to be more than just good preaching, brethren. We've got to have a move of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And we can gripe about the charismatics and we can gripe about the liberals and all of that business and I think sometimes that's justifiable. But really what we need to do is to get on our knees and say, God, help us to do those things that are most important to this generation and that is we've got to have a move of God. <coughs> Praise the Lord. But there's a price to a move of God. There's a real high price tag to a move of God. And so the weeping process goes. And I believe that spiritually as well as physically that that has to go. You don't want to stop the weeping process because not only does that bond you. Amen. I thought about it today as the elder uh, got through with the first session and he said he felt the spirit of the Lord has to pray. I put my head in my hands and I felt the tears coming down out of my eyes and dripping off my cheeks. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm spiritual, that I'm overly sensitive, but I do remember a time in my life that my heart was hard and it was hard for me to cry. I remember about 20 or 20, 25 years ago, I used to make it a daily prayer, God, let me be tender in my spirit. Help me to be able to weep, Lord. And uh, it seems so hard to weep in those days. But can I tell you that after 25 years, I stand before you today and tell you it's not hard for me to cry anymore. And I thank God for that. 
You need the experience to where God can rip your heart wide open and plant something in there where he can get the glory for it. Praise God. I want the word of God to touch me and I want to pray it in my spirit. There are so many times that I've heard the word of God and, and this is what I've tried to do of late and please uh, take it as you will. But I, I, I would hear the word of God and it would smite me. And uh, there was one particular meeting that I was at not long ago and the word of God was so rich. I slipped out early. I didn't want to go eat with the brethren. I told them later, I said, I'm sorry that I made myself just a little thin. But I wanted to go back to the room and pray that into my spirit. There's so much good preaching and so much good word of God that only goes in one ear and out the other. We've got to as preachers, brethren, God has got to break our will, break our spirit, and engraft something in us so that we can be the preachers he wants us to be. Would you pray with me just a minute? Oh, help me Jesus today. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 4, 2, the gospel preached unto us as well as unto them, but it, the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The word of God has got to be heart-driven. Just having a knowledge of the truth will not bring a lasting change. And please, please don't think I'm being critical today. I thank God for the good preaching that I'm hearing and, uh, and I love it, and uh, meetings and, and tapes that people send and said, you've got to hear this, and it is so awesome, and it's said just right, and, and all of these things are wonderful, but there's so many meetings that I've gone away from with this ache in my heart, and I thought, dear God, I didn't get anything. And I wasn't looking for criticism. I wasn't trying to be ugly. But it was men preaching from head to head. We need some preaching from heart to heart. Something is going to have to challenge us. Or we'll always be the same as we've always been. Carnal, dry-eyed, and don't know where to go next. But if God can move with His Spirit, and our hearts can be hung, become hungry to grab a hold of that altar and stay until God does something to us. Jesus' name. But it said in Jesus' name, there's got to be a spiritual impartation or there'll never be any great thing accomplished and never thing, anything really established. In Job 39, this is what the Lord began to speak to Job. He speaks about the ostrich. Gavest thou the goodly wings under the peacocks or wings and feathers under the ostrich which leaveth her eggs in the earth, warmeth them in the dust and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. I've seen that in Africa. Uh, at one particular place we were at, the ostrich will come and they'll dance around and uh, they'll leave their eggs out there in the dirt. And uh, if you're not careful, you can run over one. It would seem that a mother would have better sense than to leave her offspring out there for the foot to crush or for the predators to devour, but not the ostrich. Something's wrong here. She is hardened against her 
young ones, the Bible said, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. And this is where the key is in verse 17. Because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. It's just not in her. I've watched people walk out of God's church. Preachers walk away from this glorious message that is the only message of salvation. And I thought, God, how can they do that? And the real answer is, they never really had it. It wasn't in their heart. Can I tell you, brethren, if you don't get this in your heart, you will backslide. If you don't get this in your heart, you will go over to false doctrine. If you don't let God impart this into your spirit, uh, some shyster will come and talk you out of the glorious truth that we shout about today. But if God can ever impart this and get it in our spirit and get it in our heart, there'll be nothing that will pull us away from the work of God and his wonderful truth. Praise God. Let's worship the Lord together. Jesus, I love you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. God, give us a spiritual bonding. It's got to be more. I'm going to say this and repeat it again. More than a mental understanding of biblical concepts. There has to be a transference of the spirit of truth to your spirit. And there has to be a bonding. Have you ever wondered about people that walked out of the church? Some of you pastors that are here. Maybe evangelists. You've been preaching and you've watched people that the pastor has told you. They've been members there for a long time. And uh, they're gray-headed. They've been around and they, they've fought for the church and stood for the preacher but in this last late hour that we live in strange things are happening spirits are being turned loose and some folks are walking out on God that we never dream would ever walk out on God and it's not because they don't know the message. I had someone send me word the other day that's not living for God, a backslider from our assembly. They said, and they told us, said, they, have no, they have no hatred against you. They respect you. They respect your authority. They love the church. But they just don't really realize and can't understand why they're not in the church. And the bottom line is they may love the preacher. And they may love the church. And they may love the benefits. But they never fell in love with God. I remember praying about one lady that walked away from the church and uh, her and her husband walked away many years ago and uh, I, I wept bitterly over that. And uh, in the darkness of the bedroom, I said, God, they told me they loved me and my wife and my children. They said they loved the church and the people thereof. Then God, why are they leaving? And God spoke to me and said, they never fell in love with me. Is it possible that we can have a Bible under our arm and really never love God? We love the car we drive. We love the suit we wear. We love the acclaim that we receive. But if we don't get a real love for God, then something is going to shake you loose. Some wind is going to blow you away. I know I preach to preachers and wives here today. Maybe perhaps I'm silly for preaching to the choir, but I do know what I felt. And with the Holy Ghost burn in my spirit in the late morning hours, I want to just preach this to you. If there's anything that we ought to get today, we ought to get a, an engrafting of the love of God and the Spirit of God in our soul. 
Forget about your calendar and appointments. Forget about trying to be popular. Forget about trying to preach a conference. That's not important. Get a love for God. Get a love for his truth. Ask God to use you in the spirit of his meekness. I have a few more minutes, and I got a lot more on my heart to preach today. I hope you don't feel like I'm trying to be accusatory today, but I preach to you out of the deep burden of my soul, and I'm seeing things in this last hour. I was raised in a church that saw miracles, and there are some men that are not living for God today, and they saw the same things I saw. They heard the same messages that I heard, but there's something different between me and them. I don't ever want to fall out of love with Jesus Christ. But can I tell you that what we need is for God to make vessels out of every one of us. Hands that can be used. Feet that can be used. Vessels that His Spirit can flow through. God deliver us from the carnal mind. I'm sorry, brethren, but a lot of preaching and a lot of folks with talent are nothing but carnally minded. They preach from their mind. They preach from their intellect. They can do it without preaching. Don't you ever feel like you can preach without the anointing of God. If God don't touch you, you can't do it. If God don't anoint you, it won't happen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. Oh, Jesus. Jesus' name. I go to the story of Jacob very quickly. And I want to just mention that to you. And, of course, Jacob, at the very beginning, he had a, a great drive and desire. I don't believe that God really was, was uh, pleased with his deception. But God did like his drive. And God has a way of taking the uh, most ugly circumstances and separating the precious from the vile. And so before, if you're a young man or maybe you're in your middle ages and you're looking around you think, I don't see how God could ever use that person or God could ever use that young man to do anything. What you don't understand is that God knows how in the process of time to separate the deceiver from the prince. God knows how to take the time. Maybe they don't have their act together. Maybe their, their principles are not everything that they ought to be. And I'm not talking about compromise. And I'm not talking about immorality. But there's some folks, they just don't get some things. And, uh, and we think, well, I don't think that'll ever happen. That won't ever happen. It can happen, but you've got to understand the process of spiritual impartation. You don't get it just because your dad had it. You're not going to be anointed just because your uncle said you would. I'm sorry if that offends you. I'm not trying to be offensive today. But you're not going to have the hand of God upon you because you came from a spiritual church or because you've got a spiritual pastor. And thank God for spiritual pastors and spiritual parents and all of that business. Thank God for it. But if you ever have the hand of God on you, you will pay a price for it. God's got to cut that ugly nature out of you and put his divine nature in you. And if that never happens, then you're going to be a gadabout, a wandering star, a has-been, or a would-have-been. 
I'd rather die than to be a has-been. I told God I'd rather die at 50 years of age than to live too long and to cause shame to his name. I don't just say that uh, uh, emptily today. I'm not just saying that to have filler words. I would rather die behind this pulpit full of the Holy Ghost than to live one more year and fail him in any dimension. I really would. And I believe that any God-called preacher would want that. I look at Jacob. He's, got, he's a supplanter. He's born that way. God liked his driving nature, but God didn't like his supplanting and his deception. He gets the birthright. And then with the help of his mother, he steals the blessing. Does that mean that you say, well, God blessed that man and gave him anointing on deception and on thievery? Yeah, he did. But God wasn't anointing the thievery. And God wasn't anointing the deception. But God saw something in Jacob that was used by the prophet's tongue. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. God would rather have someone with problems that had a desire to do something than a passive Esau who was perfect and was too lazy to submit and commit to anything. Because God can't use an Esau that's lazy. God can't use an Esau that has the attitude, everything is owed to me. You know, you, you pastor, you owe me a pulpit. Well, I'm the only young man around here, so you ought to use me to fill in whenever you're gone. That's an Esau spirit. Your pastor should only feel to use you when God lays it on his heart to use you. And if he never uses you, then realize something's wrong in the equation. Find out what it is. Don't get bitter. I got preachers that are bitter today. Esau's that are bitter. He had a root of bitterness. And the root of bitterness really should have been conquered if he could have just looked in the mirror and realized he's the one that set himself up with that nonchalant egotistical, lackadaisical attitude that he had. Just expecting dad's going to give it to me. Everything's going to be all right. Don't matter how I live, what I do. You know, it's just going to come to my, just going to come and knock on my door. And one day I'm going to have a ministry. One day I'm going to be successful. And if what you're thinking about is some successful day, you've got the wrong motive. Praise God. That didn't go over too good. We're reading all kind of books about how to win friends and influence people. I don't suppose that's all evil and all that. It's good to use for soul winning, I suppose. But it has no business whenever we're coming to battle hell and to have a spiritual move of God. The philosophies of men will do nothing but deter people from the cross. We are not here to make people feel good. Praise God. As a preacher, you are not in this thing to see what kind of church you can get, what kind of car you can drive, and who you can preach for. Well, glory to God. There's some folks, they, they measure their standard of success by who they preach for and what their circle of friends is. Can you imagine? God, if he really wants to use you, he might want to make you a loner. And I promise you, 
that every great man's gift is tempered in loneliness. It will come, not if, but when. And when it does come, how are you going to handle that? Because it's going to come. Oh, Jesus. The, the, the crisis was staged. Jacob left home. He's got the blessing. He's got the birthright. Now he's got two wives and 11 children and maybe more, counting Dina and who knows who else of the girls. We know he has 11 sons. He's going back. He wants to see daddy. He wants to get back over to that place. And on the way over, he hears the story that Esau's coming with 400 men. You would be just like Jacob at that particular point because Esau was not some, uh, some kitchen-minded little maid. He wasn't some effeminate little boy that did not know how to make his way in the, uh, in the arena of life. He knew how to hunt. He knew how to fight. He was a very strong and powerful man physically. And Jacob, even though he was no sis either, realized he was no match for 400 men coming with Esau. And so he sent them all away. There has to come a time in spiritual impartation. So you say you want God to use you. You pray that God would use you in the gifts of the Spirit, in the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healing. All of these are wonderful and admirable, and we ought to ask God to use us in these gifts of the Spirit. But don't just think that they're going to be given to you on a bargain basement shelf or that you can purchase them by a blue light special. It don't work that way. God will take you at your word. He sent his wives and his children, all of his cattle and all of his wealth away until finally it was just him alone. And then that's where God met him. There's a lot of things to be said about when God meets a man. One of the things that, while Jacob was fighting and wrestling, the Lord asked him, he said, what is thy name? Jacob hated his name. It meant supplanter. Come on, Jacob, admit it. You got problems. What's wrong with men that can't admit they need help? You know, he said, well, I'm a preacher and I'm 31 years of age and I've done a little bit of preaching, but, you know, I just don't want anybody to know I, I, that, that, that I need help. I'm 50 years of age and I need help. I need a pastor. I need elders in my life. I need somebody to watch for my soul. What's your name? What's your name? Supplanter. Come on, tell us what you are. Admit it. Admit you can't do it. I've heard some men say, one of my greatest problems in ministry is because I have been able to rely upon my talent. Is that evil? Not in and of itself, but it sure ends up being evil. Because if we can do it by talent, we don't need God. And if we don't need God in it, then where is God at? What are you? And then he's starting the pursuit to leave. Let me go, let me go. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Oh God, I want a blessing. I want to be used, God. I want to be used. You want to be used, do you? Then here. And he smites him in his thigh. Oh, oh, oh. 
Oh, that hurts. You're not Jacob anymore. You're a prince. Oh, he left him writhing on the sand, and the sun came up. And when Jacob now called Israel, finally gets up. He's dragging that leg. He's crippled. He hurts. He's not the same anymore. But it, it had such an effect on him that when Esau looked at him, he said, oh, my brother. Yesterday, he was mad as he could be and would kill his brother. But when he sees his crippled brother, a broken man, and now Jacob's not looking at his brother as a rival, as someone who's trying to see who's going to get the biggest revival or pastor the biggest church or be the most successful. All of a sudden, he looks at him and said, Esau, when I saw you, you looked like God to me. Weeping, breaking pain has a way for you to look at the situation and realize that's God's way to make a prince out of a deceiver. I know I'm up against time, so let me hasten. I, when the Lord called me to preach as a young boy, I ran from it for a while. And finally, I said yes to the call of God. Heard a praying dad that would weep and wail in the nighttime hours saying, God, don't let him be bitter. I remember responding to my dad when he said, Son, do you feel that the hand of God is on you? I was running a bus route. I believe in bus ministry. I believe in outreach and soul winning. And I told him, I said, Dad, I don't want to put my wife when I get married, my children that God will give me in the position that we have been in as a family. I said, I'm going to make you a good saint because you've had so few of them in our lifetime. And I would hear him pray, God, don't let him get bitter. Don't let him be bitter. God, wake me up. And I'd hear him crying and travailing and talking in tongues. And then I'd go off to sleep. And then I'd dream dreams, preaching in places that in the last few years I've walked in them and said, I've been here before. Scary for a young man. But I remember telling God when I finally got serious, I said, God, I want you to use me. He took me at my word. I'm not asking for anything but just your attention just for a few moments. But I remember several years ago in the darkness of my bedroom on one of the darkest trials, and I've had a few darker than that since. I laid on the floor and I was wrestling and I was praying. The tears were coming now. Hard for me to weep back a few years ago, but now the tears are flowing like rivers. And I remember I finally got it out, Brother Garrett. I said, God, I ask you to use me at any cost. And I said, God, if this is the price, I'm still willing to pay it. It happened about a year and a half, two years ago. I remember going to the front room of the house that I now live in. A situation had arisen that I felt like I was going to die. 
I hit the floor and I could feel my body shaking and trembling. And I said, God, I don't know how much more I can take. And the Lord spoke to me. And I got up. I wiped the tears from my eyes. Lifted my hands as high as I could. I said, God, I am the most blessed man in the world. Wasn't well, just a few months ago, I went to the place of prayer. I have a prayer room in the second floor of our house. It overlooks the city. We're up on a little hill. I was weeping. I said, God, you took this from me. And you took this from me. And you took this from me. And now, will you take this from me as well? I couldn't pray. I wailed. I felt the cutting. But I wanted the tears to wipe and wash the bitterness and the hurt and the fear. I said, God, whatever you're trying to teach me, I'm listening. And then I said, and if this is the price, I am still willing to pay it. There have been some lonely days. I love to have fun. I love to have friends. I thank God for great men of God that God's put in my life for great friendships. I love and appreciate and respect and admire Elder Howard so very, very much. My pastor, Elder Moody, I admire and appreciate and respect him so very much. Other men of God that God has placed in my life in the last little while. There are some times that in this pursuit of God, I hope this doesn't hurt anybody, but I'm going to say it. Sometimes I feel mighty crippled. I remember driving down the road one day. All these things were all culminating. I pulled over the side of the road and tears were coming, coursing down my cheek. I remember, remember when I told you a moment ago, I asked God to help me to be able to cry. He certainly has done that. I pulled over on the side of the road. And I remember laying my head on my hand on the steering wheel. I said, God, what's wrong with me? Seems like I'm crippled in so many areas. What's wrong with me? You wanted to be you, son. And this is the cost of my hand on you. And so now, I want to preach to some young preachers today. <laughs> There are times you feel God's cutting, wrapping. You feel the stress and the pressure. You feel lonely. You feel crippled. You feel wounded. The tears course. Now because you're strange and God has allowed loneliness to become a constant companion, 
<laughs> you think, God, who am I going to call? Who am I going to talk to? It's at those times, elder, that God opens the door and said, I created this for you and me to speak. So many times we have troubles and we have trials and we're going to use our cell phone because we got free long distance and we can call all over the world. We can spend hours upon hours and go to this meeting and that meeting and this fellowship and that fellowship and we can pour all of our problems and all of our potentials out and all the time God is saying, won't you come fellowship with me? Jacob, I want to make something out of you but I got to hurt you real bad. I feel in the Holy Ghost today, I'm almost finished. There are young preachers that are here today. Life has hurt you real bad. You feel isolated. You don't know who to talk to. Go ahead. Let those tears flow. Go ahead and say, God, just me and you, Lord. Engraft your hand and your power in my life. I don't mean I don't mind being lonely. I don't mind being misunderstood. But just let my hands be your hands and my feet your feet. And then when you walk in meetings while everybody else is laughing and high-fiving it, nothing wrong with that. Here comes that weird guy. Oh. He thinks he's so spiritual. He, I just wonder what his problem is. I, I don't know if I got a problem or not. But I met God one day. And this has happened. And I see God in it. So lead on, Jesus. You know what's best for me. Don't take and mistake these tears because I'm sad and in depression today because I'm not. I feel like the most blessed man in all the world. I cried about it last night, Elder, when I was in the motel room. I said, God. 20 years ago, I would have never dreamed somebody would ask me to do something like this. I don't feel worthy of it. You're looking at a crippled preacher today. I'm sorry if I don't fit the bill of the politician. Maybe I don't say it as eloquently as some. But I'm not ashamed of the marks. Because it's these things, and by these things, men live. Shall we stand together? I have, the Lord has allowed us to see great things. But you see, when you're crippled and you've been hurt and God's wrung all of you out, it's kind of like the young lady or the older lady from Puerto Rico that came, four foot eleven. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She came right up to the front. 
just laid her hand on her and prayed for her, and she began to dance and speak the most beautiful tongue I've ever heard, Brother Warren. I didn't say, look what I did. No, no, no. I remember Elder Howard. I leaned back and put my head down, and I wept like a baby and said, God, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. People getting the Holy Ghost and miracles are still the most beautiful thing in my life. I'd give all my cars. I'd give my house for it. Because crippled men really don't care anymore because they just have to go on with life. You want to be used by God? Get ready for it. If you want spiritual impartation, God's going to have to cut you and hurt you and bruise you. But when it's all said and done, he's going to make himself a prince. And that's what he looks for. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? If you are, he'll take you up on your word. And it will be you that can be a vessel that his spirit may flow through. In Jesus' name. Shall we pray together today in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. I love you so much, Jesus. Oh, I love you with all my heart. You are the sweet lover of my soul, and I love you, Lord. You know what's best for me, so lead on, Jesus. I'll go wherever you lead.